If you have your Bibles, turn with me, please, to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12. And we want to talk today about spiritual warfare. Uh, knowing your enemy. You can't get victory over your enemy if you don't know him. So as most of you know, I did a study on angels the last Sunday morning. And honestly, friends, I had an outpouring of positive response in regards to that sermon. And at least five to six people asked that I preach on maybe fallen angels, maybe preach on the demonic world. Uh, because you can look at the two in contrast. And, and so I am going to do a series on demonology, just a short one. Uh, I must say that there have been times in my pastoral ministry that I certainly felt I was under satanic attack. Uh, most every time it is a struggle or Satan's attempts to get me maybe to compromise the Word of God, to appease those who maybe are being influenced by our sinful culture and who reject the clear teachings of the Bible. Also, there are those without that have attacked our ministry, uh, just outright lies, and out of pure jealousy, maybe, of the success of our ministry. Over the years, we, by the grace of God, have reached untold hundreds with the gospel of Christ and have helped large numbers to grow to spiritual maturity through the teaching ministry of the Word of God. And I want to tell you, friends, that makes Satan very unhappy. He doesn't want us to be reaching people with the gospel of Christ. And I believe those attacks are Satan's attempts to damage this ministry, to discourage the pastors of this ministry, and to thwart God's purpose for this ministry. Uh, we are certainly at war with an unseen enemy. You may not realize it, but maybe after today you will re realize it. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Our battle is not so much between each other as people. It's, it's the one behind the discord, the division, the destroying of our homes, our lives, our marriages, our children. The truth of the matter is there is an invisible battle going on around us all the time. And spiritual warfare is happening even as I'm talking to you in this very room. Uh, they say that more during the worship service on cell phones, people buy more things on uh, eBay and some of these than just about any other time. So if you're using your cell phone, make sure you're using it to take notes or follow through the Word of God. Because Satan wants you to do that. He doesn't want you to pay attention. Uh, you just can't see what he is doing maybe with your eyes. But the problem is too many Christians don't even seem to know that a battle is going on. And for that reason, many professing Christians live in defeat in their Christian life. And they are often given... They're giving in to temptations, to sin, and they're living a miserable, defeated Christian life. And if we're going to have daily victory in our Christian life, we must understand the enemy. We must understand Satan. So today I'm going to talk to you about our enemy. I don't like to talk about Satan for a couple of reasons. 
Number one, I don't like to give him much attention. I want to give all the attention to the Lord and, and his glory, but sometimes by focusing on Satan a little bit, we give our Lord greater glory. And, and the other reason is because he doesn't like to be talked about. He doesn't like to be exposed. Uh, he is the prince of darkness, and he likes to stay in darkness. And anytime we expose his works and bring him to the forefront, it makes him angry. And I want to tell you something. He intensifies his attacks against pastors, against Christians, individuals, and even churches. He doesn't like to be exposed. But nonetheless, the Bible teaches the reality of Satan and his demons. So I am bound as a preacher of the gospel to preach the truth to you about our enemy. I have shunned not to declare unto you, as Paul said in Acts, the whole counsel of God. And today I want us to learn at least three things about Satan and his cohorts. First of all, I touched on some of this last week uh, in regards to Satan's beginning, in regards to angels and, and how they fell. But I feel that we need to go into it a little bit deeper, and that is Satan's starting point. Where did he have his beginning? And in Isaiah chapter 14, you'll notice on the PowerPoint, verses 12 through 15, it says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cast down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thy heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. As we look at this a little closer, we see that Satan was a created angel. You're, we're created, so are angels. In Ezekiel chapter 28, two great chapters to study if you're studying Lucifer. One is Ezekiel 28 and the other is Isaiah 14. And Ezekiel 28 in verse 15, it says of Lucifer, Thy was perfect in thy ways from the day thou wast created till iniquity was found in thee. That's in Ezekiel 28:15. So first of all, we see that Lucifer was a created angel. In Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 11 through 19, and even Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 15, Lucifer's names are given, some of them. Uh, it means son of the morning, his name. It means shining star. Uh, he was created as a beautiful angel. He was called the anointed cherub, found in those passages. He was originally created as a beautiful angel, and he guarded the very throne of God. So Satan was a created angel. And, and secondly, Satan was corrupted by pride. Did you hear the verse that I just read in Isaiah 14, verses 12 through 14? I've got in my Bible underlined the eyes. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, 
son of the morning. And he, he said in his heart, I, there it is, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. Verse 14, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. And as you look at all those I wills, you know that Satan has pride. He is filled with pride. Lucifer was so content to be a guardian angel, an anointed cherub. Uh, uh, he, he was not content after a while, though. He wanted to be like God. He, he wanted to be God. Uh, in pride, he wanted to go all the way to the top. The sinful, this sinful kind of ambition led to his ruin. And it will for you too if you're filled with pride. The Bible says pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Satan was corrupted by pride. Also, Satan was condemned by God. In Isaiah 14, 15, it says, thou, Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. Lucifer thought he was going all the way to the top. And God said, no, 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 you're going down all the way to the bottom, the bottomless pit, the lake of fire. Some, sometimes we make Satan too powerful, folks. The two mistakes you can make about the devil, one is to underestimate his power, and the other is to overestimate his power. Some people think Satan is like a, a, a bad god. Uh, you have the Lord God and you have Satan, and they are fighting against each other, and it's a real close battle, a real close struggle. No way, my friend. It's not even close. See, there's one, only one, sovereign, supreme, almighty, all-powerful God. Satan is powerful, but God is all-powerful. Satan is mighty, but our God is almighty. And Satan is but a fallen angel. And the word Satan means adversary. He's an adversary. The word devil means accuser. He's someone that speaks against us. He is mentioned, I notice, 177 times in the Bible. God cast him out of heaven, and he became a fallen angel. In the book of Revelation, John says that when Satan fell, one-third of the angels of heaven fell with him. That's found in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 4. Fell with him, and they became what? we would call evil spirits. They became demons. And uh, there are some in the, the Greek word for hell. There's about five or six Greek words. Uh, but Tartarus is one of those words. It's the place of departed spirits. And there are demons that are kept there because apparently as uh, uh, fallen angels, they cohabitated uh, with uh, women. And I'll get into that more. Maybe you haven't even heard that, but they were put in a place of departed spirits, but still there are probably billions of fallen angels that are at work in our world today. There, there's only one all-powerful God, though, uh, and so we find, we might ask the question, how many are there? How many fallen angels are there? Well, we, we don't know because the Bible never gives us the total number of good angels or bad angels, but probably billions. Uh, we, we found in our study last week that there are billions of good angels found in Revelation 
chapter 5 and verse 11 because it talks about 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. And when you begin to multiply, you get up in the billions. So there are billions of good angels. Two-thirds of the angels are good. The fallen angels, just a third. But there still could be billions of them. But since that time, Satan has tried to induce human beings to be what he originally wanted to be, and that is he, wanted us, he wants us to be, want to be like God. He wants us to be filled with pride. Satan is tempting you, and he's laying all this before you, and he's saying, you don't need the church. Uh, I'll tell you, the, there are, for two years, there have been probably tens of thousands, if not in the millions of people that haven't been to church in two years and probably many of them will never go back. And it's almost like Satan has, has won a victory. And, and Satan is saying, you don't need the church. You don't need the Bible. You don't need to worship corporately. You don't need Jesus Christ. You don't even need the God in heaven. You can be your own little God. Do what you want to do, when you want to do it. Believe me, Satan is active in the world today. God has put him down, and, and he's going down more and more because he, he has access to earth, and he still has access to heaven. Even after God kicked him out, he has some kind of access to heaven because in Job chapter 1 and verse 6, it says Satan appeared before God, and he had access both to heaven and earth. But in Revelation chapter 12, verses 89, we learn that in the future that God is even going to cast him out from having access to heaven. And he's going to be cast to the earth, and then ultimately he will be cast into the bottomless pit, into the lake of fire. And that's found in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 10. And he'll never bother us again. The old nature will be eradicated. Well, let's go from Satan's starting point. We know where he started Let's look at Satan's society today. Satan's society. Look, if you would, at Ephesians 6 and verse 12. For we wrestle not, our battle's not with each other, flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So the second thing that we learn about is Satan's cohorts, his associates. He is very organized. He is very intelligent. And never make the mistake of ascribing Satan to the attributes that belong only to God. Uh, for instance, Satan is not omnipresent. God is omnipresent. Uh, Satan is fallen. He's a fallen angel. But I will say that his, because of his cohorts, his influence permeates everywhere in our world. Satan, let's look at it closer, he has a spiritual army. Uh, it's like in World War II when we, when we said we were fighting against Hitler. Now, I wasn't born there, but I know all about it. My dad fought in the war. Uh, I know a lot about World War II, but that doesn't mean soldiers were over there going hand-to-hand -hand combat with Hitler himself. No, it means that we were fighting against his influence. We were fighting against his philosophy of Nazism. We were fighting against his army. 
And so when we say we're fighting against the devil, it means that we are fighting against an invisible spiritual army. In verse 12, it lets us know that we're not struggling with flesh and blood. But it begins to name the principalities and powers, and, and, and it talks about rulers of darkness. Yes, Satan, our struggle is not with flesh and blood, but he does use people. But our fight is not against people. Our fight is not against each other. For instance, some of you may not remember, but Madeleine O'Hare was one of the leading atheists in America. And she almost single-handedly was responsible for making sure prayer and Bible reading was removed from our public schools. And I remember in the sixth grade, we had a lady come in and she would study the Gospels with us and she would pray with us. And then all of a sudden, it stopped. And Madeline O'Hare had a lot to do with that. This bitter woman died in, back in 1995 and in her next ambition, she says, at, said at that time, was to make sure in God we trust was removed from all American currency. She failed. Hasn't happened yet. It probably will one day, the way things are going in our world, in our country. But when she was alive, my feelings for her, well, I don't want to tell you what my feelings were for her. I just thought she was a pure, evil person. Uh, that uh, she just, everything God was for, she hated. She didn't believe in God. And uh, our battle, though, was not with Madeline O'Hare. Uh, yes, Satan used her. And to this day, we're seeing the damaging effect on our youth in this country and on families. As a result of her removing prayer and Bible reading from our public schools, and even the Ten Commandments from our walls, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not lie or bear false witness, thou shalt not commit adultery. You know, kids today don't know anything about that. Most of them. Unless you're in a, maybe a private school. Don't know anything about it. I, and, and when I was in school, I remember throwing spitballs, maybe tripping somebody, talking in class, Every once in a while, you were with each other six hours a day, five days a week. Every once in a while, you'd have to hit somebody in the nose or something, you know what I'm saying. Uh, you'd have a fight now and then. But today, folks, it's drugs. It's kids killing kids. It's kids beating up teachers. It's kids killing teachers. And I think a lot of that goes back to what Madeleine O'Hare did, but behind it all, you got to realize, was Satan. Satan. The Bible says our battle is an invisible warfare with the forces of evil. And the same is true in your life. Whether you believe it or not, it is true in your life. Sometimes the devil will use people to torment us, to hurt us, to, to aggravate us, to even damage us, to damage our testimonies, uh, to cause a lot of grief in our lives that's so unnecessary. Our warfare is not against people. Our warfare is against the invisible spiritual army of Satan. And Satan also, let me tell you, another point I need to make, he has a structured army. 
Notice, if you would, the words in verse 11, principalities and powers. You see those words? Satan's army is highly organized. There is a demonic hierarchy, uh, even right here in verse 12. Uh, in verse 12, Paul mentions the, the different levels, the different ranks of, demonic, of this demonic army. And principalities and powers and rulers of darkness. It means that these are decision makers. These are people in government. Just, just as in the American military, there are generals and there are colonels and there are captains and there are lieutenants and there are sergeants and there are privates. Just like in the American military, Satan's army has the same kind of structure. And even God's Good angels. You know, there's the archangels, Michael and Gabriel, some of the most powerful angels that he, he sends to do powerful work. But there are other angels of different rank, seemingly under those angels. But uh, Satan's army has that same kind of setup, the same kind of structure. And, and the Bible says demons are involved even in the political process. Uh, when it talks about spiritual wickedness in high places, get this, high places, it's talking about governmental leadership, high places. Every government, in one sense, there's a lot of evil in it, a lot of evil. You remember in Daniel chapter 10, when Daniel was in Persia, and Daniel for 21 days, for three weeks, he had tried to pray, but it indicates that his prayers Daniel's prayers, he was praying, I think, in Daniel 9, and it comes and tells us about this in Daniel 10. It was hindered by someone called the prince. Hindered. He's not talking about human beings. He is talking about a demonic spirit over the nation of Persia, and Daniel said the, the archangel, Michael, had to come and had to fight against the prince of Persia for his prayers to even get through. Hindering the prayers of Daniel. Daniel was a man of prayer. He was the guy that opened up the windows toward the, the, the east three times a day and prayed, and, and they tried to get him in trouble uh, for worshiping the true and living God and praying. But that passage describes this invisible warfare that's going on all around us. If there was a demon who was in charge of Persia, I believe there's a demon probably assigned over every nation of the world. And I think there is a demon in charge of the United States of America, whose job is to try to do everything he can to cause us to be and become more godless, more unholy, more vile, more perverted, more sinful as a nation. Because we live in a time in America where they call evil good and good evil. And that demon is doing a fantastic job on America right now. Never before in my lifetime have I seen some of the garbage, some of the bizarre behavior uh, that, that's being glorified and that's being promoted in America today. Do you think America is becoming less moral? Accidentally? Just accidentally? The answer is no. It is intentional. It is an organized effort 
by the hordes of hell, by the by demon, the demon world, working through individuals. Just as there may be generals and there are some colonels and some demonic sergeants and privates who are perhaps assigned to every individual, there are demons, I believe, over countries. C.S. Lewis, he wrote a book, he wrote quite a few, but this one was called The Screwtape Letters. It's really a fictional book, but it was based on the spiritual truths of the New Testament. And Screwtape is a demon who has been assigned to a man. You have a guardian angel. We found that out last week who guards us. And I, I've got to fill in our guardian angel battles with satanic angels. But he, he says there, he talks about a demon that had been assigned to a man. And Screwtape writes letters to his immediate supervisor, a demon named Wormwood. Wormwood. And in these letters, you learn something about how demons are trying to make us miserable and cause us to be ineffective as Christians. Although it is fiction, let me tell you, it's based on the truth. I think there's a lot of validity to the truth that there are different organizations, there are different ranks in in Satan's demonic army. And so we see Satan's starting point. We see Satan's society. Let me give you the last major point I want to make, and that is Satan's schemes. Because we see, and I won't have time today to go into the armor, uh, we're to put on the whole armor of God, but look at verses 10 and 11. Finally, my brethren, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Man, we're in a battle. You better be strong in the Lord, spiritually. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand in the flesh, you're not going to be able to stand, that you may be able to stand against the wiles, the trickery, the schemes of the devil. So how does the devil operate in your life? What is he trying to do to your family and in your, your lives? Some, some people think that once you become a Christian, the devil doesn't bother you anymore, and, they, and that is ridiculous. They, they think that once you are saved, uh, he just takes your file out of the filing cabinet or, or removes it from the computer or throws it in the trash and said, well, I lost that one. When you become a Christian, he takes your file out of the unbeliever column or cabinet and he places it in the believer column. But he doesn't leave you alone. He, he merely changes his scheme. He changes his strategy once you become a real born-again believer. The word wiles of the devil in verse 11 means the devil's schemes. He is subtle. He wants to destroy you. He wants to ruin your testimony. He wants to destroy your family. He is subtle. He is shrewd. He is crafty. He's known as the destroyer. The Bible says be self-controlled and alert. Don't go through life not realizing what you're up against. Know your enemy. Be alert. Walk circumspectly. Your your enemy prowls around like a roaring lion, and he's looking for someone to devour, found in 1 Peter 5 8. The devil is not a lion. The devil is like a roaring lion. When a lion is ready to pounce on their prey, 
They let out a deafening roar so loud that it can be heard for miles. I, I remember on one trip that we took, uh, Declan was with us, and we were at a zoo, and this, this large male lion let out a roar. I mean, and, and, I, and uh, my grandson just snuggled up to me real close because it was almost deafening. Uh, the, the effect of the, the roaring, it can be heard in some instances up to five miles. And, and, and the effect of this roar is to paralyze their prey, to make them fearful. And if I understand anything about the New Testament, the devil can't really touch you unless God gives him permission. You know, Job lost his family, his fortune, and uh, his health. Uh, he can't really touch me. But I, I'll tell you, he can scare us. One of his greatest tools is fear. And so, just as that lion roars when it attacks the prey, that's what the devil is trying to do to us. He's trying to use fear, and he's trying to use doubt, and he's trying to use discouragement. And, and, and that is his chief tool against us, to get us down, to get us to hate life. Uh, uh, you know, don't, don't go around talking about going to heaven all the time. God has a purpose for you living right now. I mean, if we want to go to heaven, yes, but right now God has a purpose for your life now. And it's not to just go through life and being negative about how terrible life is. Because life is hard. Man's days upon the earth are filled with trouble as the sparks fly upward. Looking at this even deeper, Satan tempts us to sin. And that's what we see him doing in Genesis chapter 3 to Eve. Uh, he comes to Eve and he lies to her. The Bible says he is a liar and he is the father of lies. Yeah, he says, Eve, did God really say this? If you eat of the forbidden fruit, did he really say this? Anytime God puts a period on some, you know, Satan comes along and he, he puts a question mark, you know. And, and, and did God really say if you eat this fruit, you will die? You won't. In fact, Eve, if you eat this fruit, you will be better off. You will be like God. That's what Satan wanted to be. Now he's trying to get us to do the same thing. So go ahead and eat it. Eat it, it won't hurt you. And that's the same thing the devil does to you and me. He tempts us by putting the opportunity to sin before us, and then he suggests that we sin. He cannot make you sin. He cannot make you sin. He only puts the opportunity before us, and our old Adamic nature, our old flesh is what chooses to sin. Thankfully, we're, we're in a battle, but we do have the new nature. Every time you tell a lie, Satan is tempting you, and, and you're given in to temptation. And so, as a Christian, you don't have to give in to that temptation. Temptation is not sin, by the way. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, he didn't sin. He was tempted, though. I mean, he hadn't eaten for 40 days and 40 nights. And Satan says, Jesus, those rocks over there, they look like loaves of bread, and, and they have just come out of the oven, and they even smell like freshly baked bread to me. Jesus, if you, if you uh, 
Aren't you hungry? If you're hungry, and he was hungry, Jesus, you, you can turn those stones into bread. Go ahead and do it. And, and Jesus rejected the temptation. He was trying to show us how to overcome temptation. He fought Satan off with the Word of God. The Word of God. He said, men shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. You don't have to give in to temptation. Sometimes people say, oh, all these terrible thoughts go through my mind. I, I'm just a terrible person. Now, there's a difference between temptation and sin. The devil puts all kinds of scary, filthy thoughts maybe in your mind, sometimes through the television, the garbage that's coming in to many homes, and people act like it's nothing wrong with it. You know, they, they're, they're professing Christians that watch nudity all the time and act like that's okay. It's not okay. That's Satan. The devil puts all kinds of temptations in front of you. Your job, by the help of the Spirit of God, is not to entertain those thoughts. Think upon those things which are pure and good, of good report and of honest. Your job is to push those thoughts aside because the battleground is your mind. The battleground. Billy Graham said you cannot keep the birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from nesting in your hair. The tempting thoughts will come, but just don't give in and let them lodge there. Because there are mental attitude sins. Satan also is the accuser of the brethren. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10 says he is the accuser of the brethren. He, he accuses us before God, it says, day and night. We see that in Job 1. God says, Satan, have you considered my servant Job? What, what a, a wonderful, upstanding, righteous man that Job really is, Satan. And Satan said, sure, he's righteous. But if you took away all those blessings that you've blessed him with, he'd curse you to your face. And that's what the devil does. He accuses us before God all the time. But we have someone Job never had. You know who we have? The Lord Jesus Christ, our advocate. Our advocate. He is ever willing to make intercession, the Bible says, for us. So whenever the devil accuses us before God today, if you're his child, the Lord Jesus steps in and he says, Father, don't listen to what Satan says. This is my child. He is worthy because I love him and I shed my blood for him and he's, I, he's mine. Thank God for the mediation. Thank God that Jesus is our advocate. Also, the devil accuses us to ourselves. And some of you are still listening to the devil's lies, maybe. He tries to make you feel unworthy. He tries to make you feel rotten in spite of the grace of God that has changed your heart and life. We're new creatures in Christ. And he slips up to you and he whispers in your ear, hey, hey you're no good. You're no good. I mean, how in the world can you even come to church while you're living? How can you sit in a Sunday morning church service with all the terrible things you have done in your past, 
you're no good. Oh, you say you're saved, but you're no good. How can you sit up there in the choir and sing in front of all of those people when all that sin has been a part of your life? How can you teach Sunday school class down there at the church with all the failures in your life? You're no good. And he tries to make you feel unworthy. And don't argue with him because you really are unworthy. (laughs) I mean, it, it takes two people to argue. Oh, whenever he accuses you of being unworthy, just agree with him. Uh, Yeah, I am. Uh, Say, devil, you're right. I'm unworthy. I'm unworthy. I I don't deserve the love and forgiveness and the grace of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. So the next time the devil says you're unworthy and that you're a sinner, you say, yes, but my sins have been placed. Under the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son. And He has forgiven me and cleansed me from all my sin. I promise you, when you start talking about the blood of Jesus cleansing you from sin, Satan will flee from you. He will flee from you. And let me give you something else. Satan blinds us. He, he, he blinds the unbeliever for sure. 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, it says, The God of this age hath blinded the minds of, the, of them that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel should shine unto them in regards to the glory of Christ. Those of you who are not believers, I, I'm calling your attention right now. If you don't know that you really are saved by the grace of God, I'm calling for your attention, please. Because at this very moment, I believe while I'm talking to you, The devil is maybe doing everything he can to keep you blind. To blind your eyes, to to close your ears, to to block your heart to the truth of the gospel of Christ. You're thinking about the football game coming on today. Uh, Maybe you're thinking about that golf game. You're thinking about the lunch. The wife is saying, what am I going to give to my family? And the devil, he will put everything in your mind to keep you from seeing the truth of Jesus Christ. That's his job. He's blind to the eyes of them that believe not. So may the Holy Spirit, that's the only one through the gospel, the Holy Spirit remove those blinders from your eyes and bring you to repentance of sin and faith alone in the Lord Jesus Christ. Once you become a Christian, he still tries to blind you to the truth. There are certain truths that some of you maybe struggle with that you know good and well they're Bible doctrines, they're in the Bible, and you struggle with them. Maybe you've never been taught them, you've never seen them before, but they are in the Bible. And just because you haven't heard them, it doesn't mean they're true. There are paradoxes in Scripture that seem to contradict each other, but God knows exactly how they go together. And just because, don't ever embrace one truth at the exclusion of another. You embrace all the Bible. The devil tries to make Christians believe that all they have to do is just believe. And you have to repent too, my friends. Repent and believe, and their ticket to heaven maybe is punched. And all they have to do for the rest of their lives is just sit on the pew and just wait to die. And that's a lie from hell. 
The devil doesn't want you to grow. The devil doesn't want you to serve the Lord. He doesn't want you to be committed, a committed Christian. He wants you to just be a spectator. He doesn't want you to get involved in the church. So friends, don't let him blind you. Don't let him blind you. There is a, an ongoing battle between the forces of God and the forces of the devil. But God predicted that Jesus, the Messiah, would crush the head of the serpent, although the devil would bite his heel, found in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. When Jesus died on the cross, that is exactly what happened. He crushed his head. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, and he was breathing his last breath. The devil surely must have been rejoicing and saying, I've won! I've won! I've won! I've bitten his heel! And the Son of God had been killed cruelly on a Roman cross. But Jesus said, To Telestai, it is finished. The work of redemption is finished. And three days later, he came back from the dead to be alive forevermore. And he holds the keys to death and hell because he conquered death, hell, and the grave. He was crushing the head of the serpent and he was freeing those all their lives who were held in slavery to the fear of death found in Hebrews 2.15. Freeing us. And if the Son sets you free, you're free indeed. From the foundation of the world, God determined Jesus would be victorious. Martin Luther wrote a song, and I'm going to close here. Well, it's just barely over an hour. That's not long for worship. Sometimes I think it ought to go three hours. Amen? Oh, you didn't mean that. Come on. I told you Satan would tempt you to lie now. <laughs> but Martin Luther wrote a hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, A Bulwark Never Failing. You remember that? We sing it here. Uh, that is about God, but did you know a lot of that hymn is about the devil? Listen to it. Will you listen to it? And I'll show you how it's about the devil. It says, A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. And then it says, For still our ancient foe, who's the ancient foe? Satan, the devil. Deceit to work us woe, his craft and his power are great, and armed with cruel hate, on earth is not his equal. So Martin Luther was saying, on earth, in the flesh, we're no match for Satan. Then he, that, That's spiritual warfare. Uh, although this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, but we tremble not for him. We don't tremble at Satan. His rage we can endure. For lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fail him. Have you ever thought about what Martin Luther meant by that one little word? One little word shall fail him. You know, we think the devil is such an awful roaring lion, scaring us. The Bible says his rage we can endure. We don't have to be afraid of him. One little word will fail him. You know what that one little word is Martin Luther wrote about? Jesus! That word! There's victory in Jesus. 
That's right. In the name of Jesus, we have authority. And you can have victory over the devil. The Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. I want you to know that the devil is just a toothless lion. When in the name of Jesus, you rebuke him. Toothless. He'll turn and run with his tail between his legs. When you go in the power of the Lord Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, you don't have to, uh, to run from it. He will run from you. Re- resist the devil and he will what? Flee from you. His overthrow will be completed in the future. The Bible says in Revelation 20 and verse 10, And the devil who deceives them is thrown into the lake of burning fire where the beast and the false prophet shall be thrown. That's a, that's a satanic trinity. Satan and the beast and the false prophet are the satanic trinity. I always try to counterfeit the Holy Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But the devil, it says, it says they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. That's it. No more having to contend with him. He is our enemy. Know him. We need to know our enemy. Rebuke him in the name of Jesus. But fear God alone. Why? Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this powerful passage and what we've learned about Satan, Lucifer, uh, from Isaiah 14 and from Ezekiel 28. And Lord, to go into Ephesians 6 just a little and see that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but there are demonic powers that we're up against. And Lord, we need to put on the whole armor of God. We need to stay strong in the Word of God. We, we need to, by the help of the indwelling Holy Spirit, to put on the breastplate of righteousness and live for you, live holy lives. Well, you said, I am holy, and, and, and that we're to be holy. And, and Lord, I pray that we will we fight the good fight. May we not throw in the towel. May we not give up. May we remember that we're not to grow weary in well-doing, for in due season we will reap if we faint not. May we be strong in the battle, strong for the Lord. May we be wise because we know the Word and we know our enemy and we know what he's trying to do. And help us always to remember that in the end we win. Thank you, Lord, for your Word. We ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.